It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast, the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. Julia Hartley Brewer at breakfast on talk radio. Good morning to you. Thank you so much for joining me. And indeed, thank you very much to my next guest for joining me, Business Secretary Alex Sharma. Good morning to you, sir. Morning, Julia. Good morning. There is so much to talk about. Uh, I know we uh, want to talk about uh, the issues of these uh, this green industrial revolution, and we will come to that in a moment. But first up, um, do you think that um, it is the government's decision whether or not people can spend time with their families on Christmas Day? Well, Julia, so um, as you know, we've got national restrictions in England right now. Uh, we've been very clear that we will be coming out of national restrictions on the 2nd of December. We will go back into a, a tiering system, depending on where you are in the country uh, and depending on, on what the infection rates are. Uh, and we will set out uh, more details on that closer to the 2nd of December. Uh, the reality is that none of us can predict right now uh, what the infection rate, what the R rate will be uh, in, any diff- in, in any part of the country uh, as we get closer to Christmas. I hope, uh, like uh, everyone else, that we will have as normal a Christmas as we can get. It's not a normal year. I think we all accept that. I want to have my mum and dad around the Christmas table. I want to have members of my extended family. But we just have to see where we get to. So I think, frankly, it's too early to say um, where we will end up. Uh, in a month and a bit from now. It's a bit strange, isn't it, that the government uh, instigated a lockdown policy and going into tears afterwards, which will lots of places feel the same as a lockdown, without knowing what the effect would be. As we've discussed, and I've discussed with many of your colleagues over uh, recent weeks, there was never a cost-benefit analysis. Uh, We've had computer modelling galore, all of which has been wrong and proven to be wrong so far. And yet the government basically completely kiboxed the, uh, the British economy and took away people's freedoms without knowing what the effect would be. Don't you think it's extraordinary to have a month-long lockdown and not know what effect that would have on the infection rate? Well, uh, Julia, we can see the impact that uh, uh, the, you know, restricting the virus and getting it down has had on the British economy. We've seen the latest GDP figures. Uh, we're still down uh, over 8% on where we were in, in, in February. And, of course, uh, you know, huge pressure on, on, on jobs. Uh, uh, there's no doubt that this has had an impact on the British economy. But in terms of modelling, I think it's really very difficult to model uh, individual interventions in different parts of the country. Uh, but, of course, uh, you know, as part of that d- uh, discussion that takes place, we, we do discuss uh, the impact on the economy. But I, I make this point, and I've said this uh, before on your programme, is that I, I don't think 
that somehow, uh, uh, you know, s supporting the, the uh, NHS, protecting the NHS and protecting the economy are somehow two different things. I mean, you know, if, if we allowed if we allowed infection rates to grow and we allowed uh, a state where uh, hospitals were being uh, overwhelmed, they're uh, not, that's no. not good news for the country. Well, no, they're, no, but they're not, are they? And it's no, not no, our job to protect the NHS. It's the NHS's no, but, job to protect us. Well, Julia, we've had this, this discussion. We are. Well, well, we, well, to be fair, it's I, Groundhog Day again, Mr no, no, Sharma. Sure, that's I, why we're having I, it again. I, I, of course, understand and, and respect uh, you know, the point of view uh, that, that you're putting forward. But it is also the case uh, that we tried the tiering system. Uh, this was something the World Health Organization said was a perfectly reasonable thing to do. Other countries did. But as we saw the infection rate rise, and, and you saw the stats. No, the, no, no, stats. that's not, that's not, no. I'm so sorry to interrupt, but that's not true. We actually saw the tier system apparently work because we did see infection rates going down. Infection rates were levelling off and then going down in large parts of the country, most of the country, before we had the lockdown. Well, uh, so uh, as, as That's I official data. Yeah. Well, as I understand it, what was uh, was happening is that there were parts of the country absolutely where the infection rate was low, but it was growing fast. No, and it had no, no. The official the official data showed infection. The official data is very clear. Infections were either leveling off or going down two weeks before we went into the lockdown. This data yeah. is publicly available. Uh, well, as I said, the decisions were made uh, based on what we knew at the point. I, I, I agree with you that the R rate is coming down across the country. We're now at one. I didn't talk about the R rate. Uh, and uh, that, uh, you know, people are making a, a huge effort. Uh, but that's what we need to keep doing. I mean, you, you talked about a, a normal Christmas. The way we get a normal Christmas, each of us across the country, is we get this thing beaten down. And, and it is, you know, what we cannot do is lose our resolve at this point. We've had some good news on, on vaccine announcements. We've had some good news in terms of the uh, the, uh, the, the fast testing okay. that's taking place in Liverpool and elsewhere. But we still need to do those OK, things. but we've had, you, you say we've had this good news. Boris Johnson is in, is in uh, self-isolation right now for 14 days. Despite the fact he's had the virus, he's got the antibodies to the virus, an infinitesimally small chance of contracting the virus or infecting other people as a result. We know this from the uh, international figures on confirmed uh, re re reinfections. Five people out of tens and tens of millions. Um, and, and yet he's taken a, a, a rapid test in his lateral flow test, proven that he is uh, negative. Why is it a Premier League footballer can go and kick a ball uh, in, in, in a football match after having tested negative after coming into contact with somebody. But other people, including the Prime Minister, have to self-isolate. Why are they different? And why well, is the Prime Minister not back at work properly? Well, uh, so uh, uh, let me turn this around the other way. Is that if, if the Prime Minister was... I mean, firstly, he is at work. Uh, you know, I've done uh, a bunch of Zoom meetings with him yesterday. I'll be taking part in other Zoom meetings with him today. So the idea that he's not working, he's actually working flat out. Um, I think the issue, though, is that uh, if uh, uh, somehow there was an exception made for, for politicians, I'm sure you will be asking me the other question, is that why, why is it different for politicians? No, I'm asking why we have a stupid rule. If we've got tests, the whole point of the test was to free us. Mass testing, to just shove everyone in self-isolation, doesn't work. The whole point of the mass testing was to have a test that was reliable and say, no, no, you're not infectious, so you don't have to isolate. I'm saying the rule is stupid. Well, 
uh, the, the rule currently is 14 days. Um, of course, we keep all of this stuff uh, under review uh, as we learn more, as the mass testing uh, uh, rolls out, the rapid testing rolls out. Uh, so we'll see where we get to. But right now, that's the rule. And I think it's right that the Prime Minister is following it. He should uh, follow the rule if that's the rule. But should that be the rule? The whole point. We, look, either these tests are reliable or they're not. If they're not reliable, let's not spend tens of billions of pounds of taxpayers' money on them. If they are reliable, then why don't we follow the test and then people don't have to self-isolate, including the Prime Minister when they're not a risk to themselves or others? Yeah, as I said, Julia, we would keep all of this stuff under review. When was it last reviewed? Uh, uh, well, this is done on a, on, a, on a regular basis. We look at this based on the evidence that, that's coming up. But, uh, you know, you, you've made the point quite rightly is that we've got this rapid testing that's ongoing. Uh, we're going to be rolling that out, uh, uh, piloting that across other parts of the country other than, than Liverpool. Um, so let's see where we get to. But the rule right now is 14 days and the Prime Minister quite rightly is adhering to it. Yeah, uh, but the, again, there's no, point, there's no point getting tested if you don't, it doesn't give you any freedom. Let's talk about the other big announcement today because I know that uh, last uh, 19th of December last year when all the Tory voters and people from the Red Wall, the la long-time Labour voters, turned out for, to vote for Boris Johnson to get into office, what they were crying out for, it was the talk of everywhere, every pub, every home... On every doorstep, everyone was saying, what we really want is a ban on the sale of new petrol and diesel cars from 2030. Um, why is that policy being announced today? Well, what they were all uh, uh, talking about was uh, the promise to level up across the country. And if you look at where we have uh, manufacturing of cars and where we will have uh, uh, gigafactories, uh, that is in parts of the country, in the Midlands and, and, and uh, uh, elsewhere, uh, where we want to have our levelling up agenda. If you look at offshore wind, Scotland, North East, uh, if you look at uh, where we want to have our carbon capture uh, and storage clusters, again, that's in places like Merseyside, the Humber, uh, in North Wales and Scotland. Uh, so you're absolutely right. What people voted for uh, was levelling up. People voted for uh, better paid jobs, high quality jobs. And that's what the Green Industrial Revolution is going to deliver. Did, did, they, did they vote for and were they demanding and clamouring for the second biggest purchase that they will ever make other than their home to have no resale value? Uh, were they asking to pay extra for, petrol, for an electric car? Were they asking for their taxes to go up to fund uh, the, the, all the subsidies towards uh, those cars? And, and were they asking for all the, every single good that they buy from the supermarket to clothing that is transported using vehicles which will soon have to all be electric that cost far, much, far more? for those prices to go up. Is that what they were voting for as well? Because I don't remember that being something that they were told before the 19th of December. Well, I, I think, Julia, people uh, understood, and we made this clear in the, in the manifesto, that uh, we were very keen on green growth. Uh, in fact, in the last 30 years as a country, we've managed to grow our economy by 75% and yet cut emissions by 43%. Uh, you will have seen uh, in, in some of the papers this morning uh, the impact uh, of uh, uh, car pollution, or 20% uh, of uh, emissions in our country come from cars and vans, and you see the impact on people's uh, health as a result of that. So I think people do understand that actually they do want to have a cleaner environment. And of course, you're absolutely right in terms of, of, uh, of the cost of buying an electric car. Uh, currently, we're not at, at parity, but uh, you know the, the cheapest electric vehicle you can get right now is a is a smart uh, car about twenty thousand uh, pounds. You can't Nissan. fit a family in a, in a little well, 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 in one of those. You're looking at well over thirty. 
for short. So if you look at a Nissan Leaf just under £30,000, uh, we also are providing additional money, uh, an additional uh, extra almost £600, uh, 600 million pounds, uh, for uh, a grants of up to £3,000 when people buy these vehicles. And again, this, and this is where a lot of my listeners will say, what are you talking about? By definition, anyone buying a new car is someone who's well off. I've never bought a new car in my life. I think it's an insane thing to do. You're, you're basically giving taxpayers money to well-off people to buy a new car, three grand's no, I, worth. Do you no, really think that's a priority yeah, for people no, right I, now? I, I don't. I, I don't. I don't accept that. I, I think don't people, accept what? I, well, a bit, you know, we've got 33 million cars on the road right now. Um, you know, people uh, from all walks of life buy cars they will buy them on finance uh, some may buy them outright but very majority what, what was what was the percentage of electric cars sold this last year isn't it down, isn't it about two percent uh um it, well actually new cars uh, it's it, about two percent isn't it uh yes i mean uh, right now we've got uh, around a hundred thousand sort of pure uh, uh battery uh, uh, ev cars uh, on the roads right now but that's exactly the point in terms of pricing is that uh, you know we're putting half a a, a billion pounds into building up uh, gigafactories which produce batteries in terms of money going into the supply chain. All of these are jobs being created outside the southeast in parts of the country that we want to level up. And of course, the other issue that people have uh, is with regard to can I charge my car up? Uh, so we're putting £1.3 billion into making sure that there are more charging stations around the country, particularly rapid charging. £1.3 billion. 84 percent of councils have no on-street parking, uh, um, on-street charging points at all. 83 percent. Um, how? I mean, £1.3 billion. How many is that per charging point for each car? Yeah, so, I mean, uh, uh, th that would be money that's made available for uh, you know, individual homes, but also offices and, and motorways. So right now, we've got about 3,500 uh, fast charging uh, stations across the country. This will add another 6,000 of those. And going back to that how point... Many, about, and how many cars are there? Uh, well, Julie, just can, may, may I just take this point about pricing of, of cars? Because I think it's a very important point that you raise. So if you look at uh, the, the development in terms of the price of electric vehicles, uh, the expectation is that we will get to parity uh, with diesel and petrol by the middle of the 2020s, and we will be able to accelerate that because of the economies of scale that we get in terms of manufacturing. I mean, this is an opportunity for us in our country uh, to build a sector uh, for export. Uh, this is about uh, you know, economy of the future, it's about jobs of the future. I think there will be very many people listening to your programme who will be applauding that. Well, <laughs> so for your sake, just finally, let's talk about PPE. National Order Office report today, very damning, about £80 billion worth of contracts awarded uh, during the pandemic, largely for PPE, contracts awarded to suppliers. If you had a connection to a government figure or, or a Tory MP, you basically got uh, fast-tracked, more likely to have a, uh, your contract by 10 times approved. We're talking about contracts, no transparency, no competitive tendering, often paperwork done after the fact, millions of pounds handed out to people who had no experience uh, and no business even in existence until the day before they applied. Um, we understand there was an emergency. We understand there was an international market. But do you think that when it's all said and done, uh, this is this has been the right way to handle the uh, the purchase of huge amounts of PPE? Well, Julia, I mean, I remember coming on your programme and other media programmes at the time when we were at the height of the, the, the pandemic, when there was a, a real scramble to get PPE. And in fact, every government across the world was yeah. scrambling to get PPE, right? And quite rightly, you were saying to me and others, where is the PPE? Where is the PPE to protect the front line? Absolutely right. 
and therefore we had to move at pace. The NAO report acknowledges that we had to move at pace. Um, and in terms of the contracts, around seven billion of this was uh, awarded to suppliers who are on framework contracts, so they would have been through the con competitive process. And indeed, every every contract that was awarded, as I understand, there was an eight-stage process to assess it, to process the the, the offers itself. And and this point about uh, uh, you know uh, ministers, etc. The NOA has has acknowledged as well that um, you know ministers properly declared their interests. They were not involved in uh, any procurement decisions or individual contract management, and that's right and proper. We will publish, as we always do with public contracts, uh, they'll be published in, in, in due course and people can have a look at the, for, for themselves. Online, on DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. Let's uh, join uh, now uh, former Brexit Secretary, Conservative MP David Davis, right now. Good morning to you, David. Good morning. Um, lots to talk about. The government's big reset, green plans, the Christmas, Brexit and everything. And very little time, but we are going to race through it all. Um, <laughs> all right. There's an awful lot to get to. Um, I mean, the question I've been asking lots of the Tories at the moment is, 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 is who've actually voted for the, the lot of the policies that we're getting right now? Um, we know, and certainly when it comes to the issue of Christmas, um, we're told we'd have this big reset, Dominic Cummings out, all, all this, you know, things would change. We're in a lockdown. We're, the lockdown ends on December the 2nd. And we are told, I mean, thanks to you, we've got that leg emergency legislation all falls every six months. And there's going to have to be another vote on whether or not we go into another lockdown. But there is now the possibility that we won't actually be able to spend time with our families on Christmas Day unless, you know, unless we're all very good before then. Um, do you think Tory voters or any other voters are going to put up with that on Christmas Day? Well, I don't think they're going to like it very much. And of course, one of the key things about lockdown now is a lot of people don't obey it. I mean, uh, they, they, there was a study done of people who actually got the illness uh, and were symptomatic and those who had it were asymptomatic. And they found that 70% of those who had the illness isolated themselves properly and went into proper quarantine. 
less than 30% of those who were asymptomatic did. So, you know, it's a good indicator that the, 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 the more irrationally policy appears to be the fewer people that will follow it so it will fail and i suspect i mean i don't suspect i know that if we go into another lockdown or continue this lockdown on december 2nd a much larger number of tory mps will vote against it i mean i'm quite sure of it well, we know the group's now up to 70. I mean, the majority yeah. is only 80. Yeah. But of course, with Labour MPs voting for it, and again, they, they, they want, most of them want a longer, harder, deeper, earlier uh, lockdown. They want lockdown forever, as far as I can tell. But we're this, I'm afraid, afraid that's true, yes. We're in this bizarre situation. We've got the Prime Minister, now Dido Harding, the uh, head of Test and Trace, uh, self-isolating 14 days because the app has pinged on them. Uh, Prime Minister who obviously came into contact with a Tory MP who, who, who's tested positive since. We know, we, we know he's had it. We know he's got the antibodies. We know, we, we know that it's infinitesimally small chance that he could get reinfected or could infect someone else. He's taken the uh, rapid test to show that he is negative right now. I mean, is it not insane to have a 14-day quarantine rule when we've got the ability for people to get testing to discover whether or not they are a risk to anyone or not? Yes. I mean, the, 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 the Prime Minister's position actually demonstrates the sort of silliness of some of the rules. I mean, had the scientists been doing their job, they would have looked at every other country in the world and worked out which pieces of the lockdown worked and then done the limited, uh, least intrusive, least harmful, least socially damaging uh, set of options. Instead, what we appear to have is, uh, oh, that sounds like a good idea. Let's do that uh, as a policy. Uh, and that's why you're going to find a very large rebellion come December the 2nd and a large number of people, I'm sorry to say, because actually some bits of the lockdown do work some of the time. Yes. Uh, but so, so, uh, sorry to say that actually uh, a lot of people are actively disobeying it. I mean, what are they going to do? They're going to have policemen coming into people's homes on, on uh, Christmas Day and counting heads. You know, and saying, where are you from? Show me your passport, please. I don't think so. So how, yeah, how on earth are they going to make it work? Uh, and and this, this is a real problem. The credibility of the policy dictates whether it will be successful or not. Apart from the, all the harm it will do, the economic harm, it dictates whether it will be successful or not. And if it's not credible, it will fail. And so we will destroy Christmas for a clear failure. And, and how credible is the government's new uh, green industrial strategy? Ten-point plan being announced by the government today. Uh, the Prime Minister did petrol and diesel cars, new sales banned from 2030, brought forward. I mean, it's only you know, nine and a bit years away. Um, a huge effect. I mean, it's the second biggest purchase most people ever make is their car after their home, if they, if they could afford to buy their own home. Um, do you think that this is going to fly with a lot of not just Conservative voters in the shires, but those red wool seats where people rely on their cars, not just to uh, go to work, but for their work? A lot of the time. Well, the, the truth is, I mean, London, actually in London is the only place where people rely on public transport primarily rather than cars. Everywhere else, it's cars come first. So, you know, all of the so-called red wall seats all up here in the north, they, they, they rely on their cars. And this will make cars much more expensive. I mean, if in uh, 2030 you can't sell, uh, you can't sell a new um, uh, petrol-driven car, all the prices of second-hand cars will go down. To, to not very much, uh, and so the depreciation of cars will 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 will, will increase dramatically, and that will have a big impact on uh, leasing costs, on contract hire costs, all the costs. You know, people these days, a large number of people actually lease their car these days rather than buy it outright, and it will it will it will probably near double the cost of car ownership. And that's really serious for lots of people for their daily going to work, for their contact with their families, for their going out and doing the shopping. All will suddenly become incredibly expensive. That's not, you know, I mean, 
we all want to see, you know, uh, less carbon dioxide, less pollution, a greener countryside. We all want to see that. But we have to think through the best way to do it, the way to actually uh, uh, deliver that without massively impacting people's lives. And this is not doing that. This is, I'm afraid this is action for a headline rather than action for a policy. Do you worry also that policy is being set by some, you know, very young um, very middle class, possibly very posh, well-to-do London folk in number 10 who perhaps are rather out of touch with how most people live their lives. Well, I'm afraid. I'm afraid that's true. I mean, uh, one of the one of the side effects of of uh, Mr. Cummings's arrival, not his departure, but his arrival in in number 10, was it was massively centralised. All the policy making was massively centralised. That's caused all sorts of difficulties other ways. I mean, it's made it's meant the coronavirus, the operation of the coronavirus policy has been poorer, and the actual policies have been poorer. But one of the other effects, you quite rightly say, is it takes the uh, takes the policy making away from the people who know their constituents, the MPs, and to a lesser extent, the cabinet ministers. Uh, and that means you're going to get this sort of policy. You're going to get a policy which is great for London, but not great for Rotherham or Barnsley or York or Leeds or wherever, you know. Uh, and that's that's quite a problem. Um, and uh, in terms of, of, you know, where we do go from here, um, let's, I mean, moving on from that, let's talk about Brexit because the, the, the Telegraph's reporting on the front page today, Brexit trade deal could be just days away because you were in charge of negotiating. You had the, the, the rug pulled out from under you uh, by number 10 when you were trying to negotiate. But we're now told mm. that France may be uh, reneging a bit on their, their absurd claims to fishing rights in UK waters and that the Irish Prime Minister said there was a landing zone for an agreement now in sight. How hopefully... Yeah. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm hopeful. I've always said it's been a 70-80% chance uh, of success. What you're seeing, actually, is the effect of the appropriately tough policy. You know, David Frost, Lord Frost, our, our prime negotiator, is doing what we should have done from the beginning, which is lay down the rules as we see them and then not move from them, not just give away massive concessions at every turn. Uh, so it's working. But I, I, would, I would say to your, your listeners, don't wait on next week. I mean, it will take longer. I mean, there will be hitches. I mean, uh, for example, take your issue about the French. It's entirely possible that next week we'll see a demonstration on the streets of France from the French fishermen uh, because they'll they'll get uppity about uh, thinking their rights are being negotiated away. What will happen is this will probably run the distance. It'll probably run pretty much all the way to Christmas uh, or maybe even beyond. Uh, but it w- we'll get a deal. I mean, there'll be a deal. It will be... Uh, uh, last minute, signed on the, uh, in, in the dark hours of night, but there'll be a deal, uh, and then we'll we'll spend a few months ratifying it. But uh, uh, it will take some time. I wouldn't bank on this week. I would be I would be quite surprised if it happened this week, but but I would be also surprised if it didn't happen at all. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. Uh, joined night by, by Dr. David Nabarro, who's a special envoy on uh, COVID-19 to the World Health Organization and former special advisor to the UN General Secretary when they led the UN response to Ebola. Uh, good morning to you, David. Good morning, well, Julia. Lovely to nice speak to, be to you. With you again. Lovely to talk to you. Um, I must ask you, first of all, about uh, this, this Christmas uh, plan. The papers are reporting that we're going to be coming out of lockdown on December 2nd into lockdown in all but name for large parts of the country. Tier two minimum, probably tier three, new tier four, effectively. Uh, we're only going to be allowed to see our families perhaps for uh, five days over Christmas. Um, is that justified? Oh, you see, if we don't watch it, as soon as everybody starts moving around again, 
this virus is going to pick up. And I think everybody in the government knows that this is a worry. And that's why they're saying, yeah, we'll come out of the current movement restrictions, but we will still be quite uh, restricted in what we can do. It's a sort of, as you say, uh, going from one to the other without a big shift. And, and that makes me want to share with you my view that we are going to be continuing to need to be careful about this virus for the next few months. It's not going to suddenly go away. What a nuisance, but that's the way it is. No, exactly. But there is a difference, isn't there, between uh, the stuff that we know absolutely, you know, is proven to work, social distancing, yeah. uh, washing hands, um, mm. making, being extra careful, anyone who's elderly or, or vulnerable, and whether or not, you know, we close we close restaurants or pubs have to serve a substantial meal when people are there, or people can meet in a garden uh, with their, their family members. A lot of people, including me, very cross about the restrictions on their lives, which are not backed by the science, which, well, are, which are not mm. backed by, by enough evidence. Well, you know that I would ideally like it that everything was down to us and that we could actually be trusted oh. to do everything that's necessary. I think that if, if you're in government, there's a, a, an extra piece that you have to introduce into the equation, which is, are people going to do what they're asked to do when the restrictions are reduced. And I think there's a big anxiety that we just have that partying spirit inside us and due, over Christmas, we must get together in big numbers. So I, I kind of, I can see both sides. I can mm. see where you're coming from, but I really can understand the medical advisors yeah. and what they're saying. But again, we're not being allowed to make our own, use our own common sense. What do you make of the reports from the National Audit Office? Um, I, don't, I know we don't want to get involved in the politics, but in terms of yeah. the government contracts being awarded to suppliers often with connections with government figures, um, even if we leave aside the cronyism side of things, which a lot of people are concerned about, and I know not in your purview, we know no. there was a mad scramble internationally to get yeah. hold of PPE. Huge sums of money, £18 billion awarded for PPE and other contracts in the first six months of the pandemic. Um, do you I mean, do you think that in the cold light of day, it's fair to judge what was going on in the heat of the moment? Do you think big mistakes were made or do you think that actually every government was doing the same thing? I think every government was doing the same thing then. And I think every government are moving in a similar direction on buying vaccines right now. The reality is that when things get hot, you just have to do everything you possibly can to get hold of your PPE or other requirements. And I can understand why perhaps uh, things were done that subsequently uh, do not bear scrutiny. Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. 
Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.